Okay, on Sunday nights, we go through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we are all the way in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9. Chapter 9. Also, if you park downstairs or at 375 Longwood, don't leave without a free parking token. Jeremiah chapter 9. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Passing out Bibles. Wonderful, wonderful prophetic book. Jeremiah. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and the wonderful example of this prophet, Lord the example that he is today to us in 2012. Oh, what a heart, Lord. I pray, Father, that you give us, us, the heart of this man. Lord, I pray that this evening, that our hearts would be warned, that our hearts would be encouraged, that we would be built up in Christ. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 of Jeremiah chapter 9 says, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And so... Again, Jeremiah speaking to the nation of Israel. Uh, This is probably in the reign of Josiah. He was the last good king in Israel. And during that reign, there was a tremendous reform. When Josiah came uh, into uh, office, the office of king, when he took over, the the nation had suffered from literally decades of unbelievable depravity. We've read about at by the at the time that actually Jeremiah starts prophesying that they had been doing the very thing uh, that the that the pagan religions around them were doing. They were, we saw last week in chapter 8, I believe it was, may have been in chapter 7, where uh, they were putting their uh, children into the fire. They were uh, committing um, every kind of base act and calling it worship. And uh, enter onto the scene Josiah, a very godly king, and Jeremiah, just a, a, a wonderful prophet. And God gave Jeremiah a vision of what was going to happen to the nation of Israel. And, and we'll continue reading about some of the things that he saw, but he, would, he was seeing sometime in the future just the, uh, the judgment that God would be meeting out on this people, the, the, the people of Israel. And this particular 
at this particular time, he is in the gate or underneath, uh, he's in the door of the temple, of God's temple. And Jeremiah chapter 7 is where he began speaking out and declaring this truth. In verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word. So the priests were coming in and out, listening to what Jeremiah was saying. Uh, prophets, although they were false prophets, w- would be listening to them, just temple officials, lots of religious people. And he was speaking right into the the corruption of the religious system um, of the day. And at this time, he's still uh, pretty much a young kid when the Lord had called him. In chapter 1, he says, uh, he said, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Don't call me. And the Lord says, do not say I am a youth. You shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. And oh, oh boy, did he obey, because some of the things that he said says, and we'll read more about it tonight, are, are just so intense, but so much we can learn from Jeremiah, as I've said. He's one of the only prophets where we get inside the heart of the man, and so we get a picture of what the heart of a prophet, what the heart of a man of God, what the heart of a person speaking truth into, his, into the lives of the people, what it's supposed to look like in verse 1. He says, my, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. This is not just an angry guy shaking his fist at people because he just disagrees with their lifestyle. And, he's, and, and, and the anger, so much of the anger I see uh, in the church today is, 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 not, is not flowing forth from this, what we read in verse 1, a head with waters, waters meaning tears, but it's, it flows forth from hatred, from a despising, a heart that despises the people that it sees, it, uh, uh, it, it, a heart that sees depravity and, and hates it. It's hating the sinner rather than the sin. But here you, we get a glimpse into the heart of God's prophet, a man of God. He says, oh, my, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He could see where their behavior was leading them, and it was, it, it was just causing him to weep uncontrollably. Uh, but it, it, th- that was one side of him. The other side of him just wanted to go to the other side of the world. Verse 2, oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers that I might leave my people and go from them. They're all adulterous and assembly of treacherous people. So part of him was just fed up and, oh, I just got to get away from this. And so, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and that's one of the more wonderful things about the Bible. We see the complexity of man and we, we, we see the complexity and actually the, the reaction of a holy, holy, white-hot, holy man of God. 
there's one of them that just wants to weep, and the other one, the other part just wants to run. And that's how we get sometimes when we see the where people are headed because of their sin. It it is just it, if we if we really have the heart and mind of God, it it, it makes us extremely sad and upset and, and brokenhearted for the people. But then there's another part of us that just wants to run away. You know, I, every time I see now an article by, uh, in academia, as, you, as many of you know right now, it, it's no longer B.C. before Christ and A.D., you know, I, I forget what A.D. stands for. Does anyone know? What is A.D. stand What? And what does that mean? That's Latin. Oh, the year of our Lord. Okay. And now, of course, it's BCE, which is before Common Era. And then after AD is CE, which is Common Era. And it's such utter foolishness. But it, 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 it is it, it, because obviously it's still, we're still, okay, so we're CE 2012. What was 200, 2012 years ago? CE or PE or FE? It's still you know, when Jesus was born. And, and, and so, um, but, but this type of thing, you know, you, you, you read it and you just want to run. You just want to go. You want to go into a place in the wilderness, a lodging place for travelers, like, and just, you know, live in Montana with an outhouse uh, near where Josh used to live or something. And, 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 um, and, and just go away from it all. And, you know, live with the squirrels and the chipmunks and the gigantic grizzly bears and, and the, you know, this type of thing. But I can do without the bears, though. Man, I can deal with a lot of things. But grizzly bears, man. Verse 3 says, And like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for the truth of the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, for they do not know me. You know, God, in the Psalms, it says that he wants to take us from strength to strength. He also wants to take us from, the Bible says, from glory to glory or from grace to grace. Away from Christ, away from the Lord, we go from evil to evil. It's true. It certainly describes my life before I was in Christ. Verse 4, everyone take heed to his neighbor. Do not trust any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. There's an indoctrination going on in our school today, teaching kids to speak lies teaching kids that there's no such thing as absolute truth, teaching kids that good and bad depends upon what a person has formed and fashioned in their own mind, and we have no business making a judgment for them as to what they think is right and wrong. That is very common. We, I read that article a couple of months ago from The Economist. That is what kids have been taught to speak today, and, and they also believe it, that, look, you know, I, he, 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 that person may be, you know, wasting their lives on whatever, three Jaguars, two Bentleys, and a, a Rolls Royce, but hey, if that's what he thinks is right, you know, it, it, it's right for him. 
And if that person is sort of cheating on their taxes or, or, or whatever, taking money under the table, and they don't have a problem with it, that's, that's what's right for them. And, and, and that's what we're beginning to grow up with in this country. Verse 6, your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me. Now, underline that one. Through deceit, they refuse to know me. So oftentimes, you run into folks in Saturday Night Witnessing. Please go out, even if it's once or twice um, this summer with the guys, and just speak to people about the Lord. And a, a lot of times they're like, well, you know, I really can't find the Lord, and, and so I'm just uh, really not into that now. No, well, the Bible says that really when a person rejects God, it's because they have refused to know them, to know him, refused to seek him. They're scared or they know what they're going to find, so they refuse to know him. And verse 7 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will refine them and try them, for how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? So it's like the Lord saying, I know what I have to do with them, but how can I possibly do it? I know I have to be just because I am justice. It's in my character. But, and so I know that judgment must proceed from me. But how can I do this? How can I do this to my kid? You know, it's like a kid who calls for the fourth time to be asked to be bailed out of jail. You know, how can I not bail him out? Sometimes it reaches a point where you have to do that. How, but that, that's, the, that's the, the thought here. How am I supposed to do this to the daughter of my people, to my own children? Their, verse 8, their tongue's, tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he lies in wait. Shall I not punish them for these things? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Again, can I be who I am? In the Old Testament, again, when Moses was going back to uh, Israel or, or Egypt to his people, and he asked God, well, when they asked what, what your name is, what shall I say? He said, what? I am who I am. And through the Bible, uh, we go through the uh, I am statements. On Wednesday night, we're in the book of John, where there's all kinds of I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the gate. One of the things that the Bible says is, I am holy. Can I be who I am in my holiness and just do nothing and not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Verse 10, I will take up a weeping. And so this is, again, so important that we get this. This is the heart of love of a prophet when we see wrongdoing, we're not supposed to hate the sinner. We're supposed to have a, a, a heart that's broken over the sinner. Here is the heart of a man of God or of a woman of God who really has the heart of God towards a, a sinning and rebellious people. This is it, verse 10, Jeremiah speaking about himself, I will take up a weeping and a wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling places of the wilderness, a lamentation because they are burned up so that no one can pass 
through, nor can men hear the voice of the cattle. Both the birds of the heaven and the beasts have fled. They are gone. Can you imagine getting this vision, if you're Jeremiah, a vision of, uh, of mountains and hills that you are really familiar with as someone who lives and is familiar with Israel, and then you see in a vision from the Lord and they're all burned up. That's what they did. That's what the Babylonians did. When God sent the Babylonians to destroy the temple and to destroy Jerusalem and to destroy uh, Judah, when the judgment finally came, he's seeing it here before then. And he's so traumatized. And, and, and he's saying, I will take up a weeping and a wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling places, a wilderness, a lamentation. Because they are burned up so that no one can pass through. Verse 11 says, I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a den of jackals. So a place where little foxes or whatever hide in the rubble. I will make the cities of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. And so there would literally be these ghost towns after the Babylonians came through. In verse 12, it says, who is the wise man who may understand this? In, in other words, he's saying, he's saying, he's standing there in the gate, and he's saying, is there a wise man among you who, who's going who's gonna to understand this, who's going to believe this, who's going to... Uh, really lay hold of the truth of, of, what I've uh, of what I'm saying? And who is he whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? Why does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness so that no one can pass through? And the Lord said, because they have forsaken my law which I set before them and have not obeyed my voice nor walked according to it, but they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts and after the bales which their father taught them. And so there's this, uh, there are some biblical scholars who, who think based upon verses like verse, verse 12 that the, um, that the destruction had already begun. But um, I think it. No, I think it's more consistent with what's going on. That no, this is at the beginning of the reign of Josiah. It hadn't begun. He had seen a vision, and he's saying, "Who is the wise man who's gonna who's gonna lay hold and understand and believe this pr prophecy that I'm laying out here?" Uh, but another way of of another way of reading this is that calamity had had already started. And he's saying, again in verse 12, the same thing. Why does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness so that no one can pass through? Can't you guys understand that? In other words, the judgments have begun. The judgments have begun. Are you not going to understand this? And the Lord said, well, it's because they've forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it. But they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts and after the bales which their fathers taught them. Jesus said actually the same thing in, uh, in the book of, 
of John, he said a very, very similar thing. It, uh, he, right before he was, right before he was arrested, he pretty much uh, summarized, the, it's summarized in the book of John in chapter 12, uh, it says in verse 37 that though Jesus had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him. And it goes on to say, therefore, uh, just, as the, uh, the, just as the Isaiah the prophet, the words of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And, and so this is a thing that's happened throughout history. People making a choice to refuse the revelation, the plain revelation and declarations of the Lord in spite of just overwhelming evidence that they should embrace it. And it, and it, it speaks to the hardness of man's heart. And so it says they follow the dictates of their own heart. And in the book of Judges, throughout the book of Judges, it says over and over that everyone did at that time what was right in their own eyes. You know, the, the, the words of Jeremiah speak to us today. I just read today, actually, that uh, uh, New York State College at Stony Brook, I think this is unprecedented, they have decided and made a decision that no longer will they be canceling any classes for religious holidays. So whatever, Rosh Hashanah, Jewish holidays, Yom Kippur, uh, uh, Good Friday. And what is even worse than that, because they said, you know, this is a secular university and there's, you know, there's an overtone of favoritism towards religion to, to cancel classes on religious holidays, but actually what, what is so much more uh, uh, w- concerning than that is that the administration, apparently the faculty, wanted to open up Saturdays and Sundays. And the only reason that they lost their battle to do that was because of the unions, of the unions, you know, I'm not working on a Sunday, you know, I'm not, you know, going in and cleaning a bathroom. That's the only reason they, they lost the battle is because the unions came, not because, you know, the students were in uproar. And, and to be fair, there, it's not like there was a gigantic student population complaining about all this, and that is, is a picture of sort of the decline of our country Make no, sec- no, no uh, mistake about it. They didn't do it because they didn't want to show favoritism one religion to another. They are doing that because they are antagonistic towards faith in God. And, 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 but, but, you know, and, and so the, the prophetic voice of, of Jeremiah, it's so relevant and it speaks to us uh, today. Verse 14, they walk according to the dictates of their own heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord, verse 15, of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood. That's just like a bitter, 
uh, a bitter wood, you put it in water or something, and there's a tremendous bitterness to it, and give them the water of gall to drink, I mean, like a vinegar water. In other words, he's going to let them taste. He's going to let, the, let them taste the consequences of their decision. He's going to say, okay, you want that? I'm going to let you just reap the natural consequences of the decisions that you are making, of the decisions that you are making. Verse 16, I will scatter them also among the Gentiles, meaning they will be scattered when this judgment happens they will be going out to different parts of this world of the world away from the land of Israel whom neither they nor their fathers have known and i will send a sword after them until i consume them thus says the lord of hosts consider and call for the mourning women that's mourning m o u r N-I-N-G, that they may come and, so, and send for skillful wailing women. Now, remember at this time, when someone died, you actually hired people to mourn for you. I guess if really, particularly, you have to have a lot of money. If people really didn't like you, you had to go and hire like a lot of those people. Um, yeah, because, uh, well, no one's going to be crying at my funeral. I better leave a big budget for that. But that's what they... That's what they did, and he's, and he's saying there's going to be so much death, and he's, and, and he's just speaking poetically here. You better call for the mourning women, uh, women. Let them make haste, verse 18, and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may run with tears and our eyelids gush with water for a voice of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are plundered, we are greatly ashamed. Can you imagine that he is actually hearing this. So it's a vision that he sees, and this is like not the silent screen of the 20s or whatever. He actually, there's a soundtrack to this vision. And he's hearing the traumatic wailing of the people, and he's warning them. He's warning them. They actually, now I don't know, I don't get all this stuff. But they could have repented at this time. And actually, many, there was a measure of repentance in, 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 the, um, you know, in the reign of Josiah. Some people did turn back. But they could have averted the judgment. I mean, Jonah went into Nineveh. God told him to say, in 40 days, this city is destroyed. And the people repented. And God relented. And how you reconcile that free will and the sovereignty of God, I, I, I don't have all the answers to that. But he's, he's pleading with them to turn. Verse 20 says, Yet hear the word of the Lord, O women, o women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters wailing, and everyone her neighbor a lamentation, for death has come through our windows, has entered our palaces to kill off the children, no longer to be outside and the young men no longer on the street. So the Babylonians would come, they would find locked doors in the palaces, and they would come through the windows, sort of drag the people out. 
Verse 22, speak, that says the Lord, even the carcasses of men shall fall as refuse on the open field like cuttings after the harvester, and no one shall gather them. Thus says the Lord, let not, and this is a famous verse. So all, the, all as we've seen throughout the prophets, and, and we'll see, actually we've just been really in Isaiah, but we've seen in Isaiah, and we'll see this throughout the, the prophets, um, all of the sudden he sort of gushes forth with a different sort of uh, prophetic voice here in uh, verse 23. And you see this in prophecies. In, in, uh, in Genesis 49, when Jacob is given a prophecy about each of his children and their descendants, I love some of the things that he just sort of blurts out out of nowhere. He's talking about, you know, what's going to happen to Reuben and his descendants and Simeon and their descendants and then Dan and his descendants. And all of a sudden, verse 18 of chapter 49, he just says, he just blurts out, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. And he does that a couple times um, during uh, that prophecy. And I love that. Those are just really gems. But here, here he does that in the middle of all this terrible, terrible message of judgment. He says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Oh, just I, I speak this to my own heart that we can open up our hearts tonight. Let's not glory in the wisdom that we are being built up in. Any wisdom that we have is from the Lord. Let's not glory in our might. It always gets me concerned when our country just is obsessed about having the mightiest army in the face of the earth. Not that we shouldn't have a defense. But... Uh, Let's not glory in that. Let's glory that we know the Lord. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. That he understands and he knows me. He knows me. You know, I, 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 I'm not an elderly man, but I'm not a spring chicken either. I'm 48, spent a whole bunch of years in the corporate world. I did real well there. And I have to say, I've just reached the point in my life that I am utterly unimpressed by virtually anything anymore except a, a man or a woman who knows the Lord. I got to tell you, I just love meeting men and women who know the Lord, who've experienced the Lord. That word know there, so I, as I understand it, similar to the Greek word gnosko, 
which, is, which means you don't know facts, it's you know by experience. So I, may, I can say, well, I know Obama, President Obama, in the sense that I know that he exists, I know he's the president, but I don't know him personally. Different word than this one. This is knowing personally, knowing by experience. Look, don't glory in wisdom, might, or riches. Glory, glory in knowing by experience the Lord, his faithfulness in your life, the fact the fact that you have tested his promises and he has been faithful to his promises and you know him in that way. Glory in that. That you know the Lord. Everything else is, you know, in, in light of eternity, it's like, it's like grass. It just burns up. It's here. It's gone tomorrow. It's like vapor. The, uh, that uh, that uh, comes up in the dawn and just is eliminated by the sun. Glory in that you know me. That's what you, you, you need to pursue. He's falling on completely deaf ears here. He's in the gate of the temple, and this is falling on utterly deaf ears. Behold, the days are coming, verse 25, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt, Judah, Edom. Edom is modern day where modern day Jordan is. The people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corner, corners who dwell in the wilderness for all these nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel, Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. So what he's saying here is there's no longer any distinction between the people of Israel and all the nations around them. So I'm going to just judge them all. And so this is, you know, we've been addressing this on Sunday morning as we go through Luke chapter 6. The value system that has been embraced by the church in the United States of America. That somehow grace allows us to make virtually any decision we want when it comes to having the best in our life. And I don't want to bore you with all of this again, but. You know, the best cars, the best houses, the best universities, the best bodies, the best whatever. Oh, but it's grace, so I can get the best. That's exactly what the world believes. And, and, and you know, when the church looks no different than the world, the Apostle Peter says, look out, judgment begins in the house of God. Judgment begins in the house of God. And that's what he's saying here. You know, when it, when it just looks, when there's almost no difference between, you know, what the, the church is doing with um, the world, 
You know, the, 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 again, the world in America, we shake our fists any time we're treated unfairly <laughs> on a personal level. Any injustice against us. Anytime we're not treated just like everyone else, we just think we have this right to get up in people's face. But Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who spitefully use you. We should look utterly, totally, completely different than the world. Completely different than the world. And believe me, when you're forgiving the way that Jesus calls us to forgive, and we talked about this this morning, when a Christian woman is praying for her former husband and she's praying for his new marriage to prosper, that is just so utterly radical to the world. The world will be able to see a huge difference when you are laid off by a boss because he wanted to place blame on you for something that he did. And I know I'm repeating some of the things. but And, and people come to you and say, why aren't you more bitter towards your boss? Well, I'm not only bitter, I'm praying that he just gets another promotion. What? Why do you continue to be friendly towards your neighbor, towards your family member, towards your former friend who is going around talking trash about you all night and day? Why are you trying to bless them? Because I am not of this world is the answer. I want to be like Jesus who... It says that he is always before the throne interceding for us. As we stumble and we sin every day, and he's, he's telling the Father, do not count it against him. Do not count it against her. I died for her. She's perfect in, in Christ. My blood has covered all of her sins. But when a nation starts looking, uh, rather when the church starts looking exactly like everyone around them, that's where the judgment will begin in the house of God. And then it'll spill out to the, uh, to the, to the rest of the nations around them. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. Again, behold, the days are coming. I will punish all those who are circumcised with uncircumcised. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon and Moab. So Judah, that's the people of God. That's the Messianic line. And, and when the church is just thrown in a list together with other, you know, nations or societies or groups around it, you know, you're in big trouble. To see Judah's name there in the middle of that list, Egypt, in verse 26, is a type of the world. Edom, we're, we're just, for, throughout history, we're just God-haters. The people of Ammon, same thing. And there, right in the middle of that, is Judah. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. That's what he says to the church. Chapter 10, hear the word 
which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the uh, signs uh, of heaven. Now, this appears to be a different altogether prophecy from the one that was in chapter 7, 8, and 9. So this is a different prophecy. It appears to be starting up a new one. Chapter 7, 8, and 9 are just one continuous prophecy. He's sitting in the gate of the temple and and just uh, declaring (laughs) boldly all those things. And here the tone, it does appear to be a uh, different prophecy, not only because you have a new introduction here, but there's there's really a different message here. It says, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. So, This appears to be talking about they had seen an eclipse or maybe a comet and all, they're all going around saying, oh, what could this mean? There's an amazing amount of superstition out there in the world, particularly as you leave this country. You know, when we go to Haiti and places like that, it's just people so bound in in superstition. They'll they'll see whatever the moon do something or the stars and and they're filled up with, with fear. And uh, I remember reading this article in the Wall Street Journal a few years, a couple of years ago, and I think I've shared it before with you. But in this Wall Street Journal editorial, it's in the editorial sec- session uh, section, and, and the, basically this particular editor was questioning why uh, the, the, the sort of the 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 you know from many quarters born again Christians were being so heavily attacked. Uh, because of their faith, like it's their blind faith and they're just, you know, they're basically just turning a blind eye to all reason and intellect. And actually published in this editorial, these, um, this, uh, this survey that had been done that in society, born-again Christians have the least percentage of people who believe in the paranormal. It's some ridiculously low percentage, which is a very heartwarming um, article to read, by the way. Uh, you know, that they, that who use Ouija boards or who believe ghosts inhabit places and, and UFOs and nutty stuff like that. And then the rest of the society just jumps way, way up. And we're taught that. In the Word of God, right? We don't have to be bound by all kinds of superstitious nonsense. Same kind of idea. Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed by the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are futile, for one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. You, you know you're in big trouble when you have to carry around your God. That's what he's saying. You know, you, you know, you got to question your own God when you have to it says, fasten it with nails in verse 4. Uh, this is a God you're trusting in. You actually have to fasten it, nail it to a pole. We saw similar verses in, in Isaiah to this. Verse 6, inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great. Your name is great in might. 
Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. I tell you, it's great in your devotion time, and I hope you have one every single day to just do this exact thing where I, you know, Jeremiah, he's... So utterly discouraged by so much that's going around him. Now, keep in mind, it was Jeremiah had been told by the Lord, it's it's more it's more or less you, Jeremiah, against everyone else. No one's going to believe you. Everyone is turned away uh, from me, Jeremiah. It's just you, and you are alone. But the Lord gave him these wonderful worship times, and we would do well this in our in our own devotion times to just sit back and reflect on this very same thing. Who would not fear you, God? This is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and all their kingdoms, verse 7, there is none like you, but they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Just saying before the Lord in your own devotion time, God, everything else, it's just not worth it. The the mammon, the, the money, the... The, 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 you know, wild, crazy career path, the, uh, you know, the luxury, fame, power. There's none like you. It's, it's all, it's all altogether dull-hearted and foolish, verse 8. Man, this is, we, we learn worship as we go through Jeremiah. Psalms is the best place to learn worship. A psalm a day will... Uh, make you a worshiper. But this is the same thing. This is how we learn to worship, by reading uh, uh, these, these prophetic books. Verse 9, silver is beaten into plates, and it is brought from Tarshish and gold from uh, Euphaz, the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the metalsmith. Sometimes it's just worth it when we get before the Lord just recounting how ridiculous it is to follow anything other than him. Verse 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. He's living. He's not something in a, in a pole that's carved that you have to nail to whatever, some tree. He's the living God. He's alive. Jesus is alive. And the everlasting king at his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation, it could be that he just got a glimpse into the great tribulation 3,000 years from the time he was prophesying. The nations are not going to be able to endure the, des- the indignation of the Lord when he returns. Verse 11, thus you shall say to them, the gods that have not made, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. Now, this is a fascinating verse because it's in Aramaic. It's the only verse in this whole book. It's written in Aramaic and not Hebrew. And uh, if you read the commentators on this, they say, well, he sort of switches over to Aramaic because he's prophesying to to the nations around Israel. And And he's telling them in their own language, listen, the gods that have not made the heavens and earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. These gods you have, Babylonians, 
these gods you have, Ammonites, Moabites, Edomites, they're going to perish. And, and, and God is such a loving God that he comes and he speaks to us in our own language. And we do have this, actually, throughout the Old Testament, these references of God speaking to the nations and, and prophesying about the nations coming to him and talking throughout. My, Stephanie and I are going through the Le, Leviticus now. It's not been an easy journey. But anyway, um, all the references to strangers, meaning aliens, foreigners, and what they're totally welcome to become a part of the family of Israel. And God has such a heart for them and keeps on telling Israel, you were once an alien yourself. You better be careful how you treat those aliens. It's a good word for the church in the United States of America. Verse 12, he has made the earth of, uh, by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. When he utters his voice, there's a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. Now, how many physics people are in here? Do we have even one today? We do in the morning. I think we have a couple. Where's Andrew? Andrew, where are you? He's doing his, he's doing his physics homework. It says he makes the lightning for the, for the rain. Could it be that lightning has... There's a cause and effect between lightning and rain, like lightning actually has a role in rain coming or how hard it rains? I'm glad you asked. Our hypothesis is that in cases of cyclogenesis in marine air masses, including subtropical cyclogenesis, the relationship between rainfall and lightning rates will be relatively robust because of a more uniform aerosol and cloud microphysical environment. Where is Andrew when we need him? But anyway, there is, there, it's funny, you, get, you can actually go read. Of course, you can read about anything nowadays. You can actually read about this nowadays, that um, there are theories out there that lightning actually has a role in how hard it rains or maybe whether it rains at all. And I don't know, is that what he's talking? He makes lightning for the rain? I think most people think, I have, I've always thought, Lightning has no bearing on whether it rains or not. But who knows? This may be a little nugget of truth here in the Bible. It, I'm, not, you know, I'm not sure here, but I find that kind of interesting that you can actually go find that there is a relationship there. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by an image, for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are futile, a work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them. So here, this is a name of God. You know, throughout the Bible, you can write out the names of God. Here's one of the names of God. What is it? Verse 16. The portion, 
the portion of Jacob. God is your per- portion. That is who he, he is. There's a song about that, about all the names of God. I love this song. And at one point, they're talking about all the names of God, and one of the names of God is our portion. He's our portion. He's, he's our provider. He's the portion of Jacob. He's the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Gather up your wares from the land, O inhabitants of the fortress. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will throw out at this time the inhabitants of the land and will distress them that they may find it so. Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is severe. But I say, truly, this is infirmity, and I must bear it. And so again, I'm just going to repeat this over and over again because this is what sometimes our hardened religious hearts need is to see the heart of Jeremiah. He's hurt. He's not glad about all the destruction that is coming around the people who are wicked. Around him. He's not, God takes no pleasure in the wicked. Neither does Jeremiah. You know, when Saddam Hussein was toppled and all the, or killed and, you know, all the people are, are cheering or Osama bin Laden, there's like parties on, in front of the White House. That's not what the Lord is doing. Verse 19, woe is me for my hurt. That's not what a man of God, a woman of God is saying. My wound is severe, but I say, truly, this is an infirmity. I must bear it. My tent is plundered, and all my cords are broken. My children have gone from me, and they are no more. There is no one to pitch my tent anymore or set up my curtains. For the shepherds have become dull-hearted and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered." Behold, the noise of the report has come and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate, a den of jackals. Now, is verse 20 talking about some of the consequences that Jeremiah experienced because the fact that the guy is sitting in the gate of the temple declaring judgment the way he was? Did they go and plunder his tent? Did his children and his family bolt from him? Or were they taken away? I don't know. But certainly we are told that that sometimes that is the consequence of being faithful to the Lord. Verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. This is a wonderful declaration, just also reminding the Lord in our own devotion time, Lord, it's not in me to know my way. It's not in me to direct my own steps. Verse 24, O Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Pour out your fury on the Gentiles who do not know you and on the families who do not call on your name. For they have eaten up Jacob, devoured him, and consumed him, and made his dwelling place desolate. And the Lord would 
do that. Oddly enough, he would use the Babylonians as he used the Assyrians and others to be an instrument of judgment, but then he did, in fact, pour out his fury on them, and there was judgment. Um, some believe it's because they much overdid what they were supposed to do, but in any of the case, when people attack the children of God, no matter if the children of God are, are even in rebellion, this is how much God cares about them. There will be judgment. So, again, the book of Jeremiah, it's intense. It's not light reading. <laughs> it is not light reading. Uh, but, you know, it's wonderful to know that when the wrath of God came upon Jesus Christ, God was satisfied with what he saw. And because he was satisfied, we are new creations. The Bible says anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Why? Why has the new come? Because the old our sin, our rebellion, our sin nature was put upon Christ and it was dealt with. And God not only paid, that Jesus not only paid the penalty for our sin, but he, 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 he gave us, it, it, he paid, he gave us power, it, the, the cross gave us power, and what happened there in the resurrection gave us power over sin. So, there's a wonderful backdrop of grace to all this. All this is pointing to the time when um, the Lord would bring, when Messiah would come, and in the fullness of time, he would provide redemption and, and life. Uh, it says in First Timothy that life and, and immortality were brought to light through the gospel, through Jesus Christ. And it says that the, the prophets like Jeremiah long to see what we have seen and what we have experienced in Christ. And so it's wonderful to know that. <laughs> it's wonderful to pour through the pages of the New Testament. Um, and, you know, you can't read the Old Testament without getting a, a, a really good a really good diet of grace from, from the New Testament, even though there's plenty of grace and mercy in the Old Testament as well. But it's great to know that where all this is leading, it's leading to the resurrected Lord, the living God. So we'll end there tonight. We'll pick up and then in chapter 11 next week.